Take your Bibles, please, and turn actually. I know we just read from Matthew, but I want you to turn to 1 John 4. I'm going to get there in just a moment. The sermon today will have a bit of narrative up front. It's a different way than I normally preach. Advent tends to be a little more topically driven than expository, which is what we normally do. And if you don't know what either of those words mean, it means I'm on the theme of love this morning. I'm still very much in the Bible. But that um, as the days progress and we get back into our normal feasting on the Word of God as a church family, we let the Bible set the tone for itself. We work through books of the Bible, passages of the Bible, and let them speak for themselves. If you're just joining us this morning, we're in week two of Advent, and we are focusing on the fact the whole series is entitled really God with us. That's what Advent is. It's the scandal of Emmanuel, that God would condescend, would step down and be among his creation. By some estimates, we're the lowest form of his creation in that we were made from the dust of the earth. Everything else got spoken to existence in this beautiful way and as if to remind us of uh, just how humble we need to stay, he made us from the dirt. And uh, even poetically at funerals, you will hear from dust to dust. That's quoting scripture in that creative order that God has. But in other instances, we are the crowning glory of God's creation because we are the only part of God's creation made in his image. The church this morning is full of fellow image bearers. So are the streets outside when we walk outside. Humanity made in the image of God. Advent has to do with anticipation, waiting, this active, eager, coming arrival of Christ himself. It's Uh, Waiting and a longing. It's not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that links the past, the present, and the future. The past that Jesus came to this earth in the form of that baby in a manger. The present that God is with us now in the person of the Holy Spirit pointing us to Christ. The future that Christ is coming back for his bride the church. Can I just remind you, Bible nerds in the room, where we're talking about the advent and the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ outstrips the arrival of Jesus as baby eight to one in scripture references in the New Testament. The Bible talks a whole lot about him coming back as resurrected returning king and not a whole lot about him showing up as a baby. This morning, though, as we celebrate week two, This active, assured, and hopeful waiting, we're focusing on the fact that God with us brings love. I want you to hang with me for a moment as I attempt to present to you Mary and Joseph, a love story. We'll get to the text just as quickly as we can. It actually comes right out of the text we read in Matthew chapter number one and what we know from Jewish custom and culture in the day. Think about all the love stories that you know and have heard in school or in life and the love songs that you know. Yesterday, there was a Changed Choices wedding celebrating um, this incredible mark of discipleship in a previously incarcerated woman's life, and it was hosted right here on this property. She was in prison and ministered to by many from our own church family through the ministry of Changed Choices. 
uh, gave her life to Jesus and was discipled and then came out of prison, was helpful, stayed in the transition home for a while, uh, is now one of the head bakers and trainers at a Panera in town. It's just a wonderful story. And came to the realization that she wanted to reflect Christ in every area of her life and decided to get married to the boyfriend that she had had for some time. So that, that happened here yesterday. It was a beautiful moment. And the service had some love songs. I'll be honest, some I hadn't heard before, but it had some love songs in the service. And there were some love songs played at the reception. Hadn't heard Luther in a while. He was played yesterday morning. For those of you, I don't mean Martin Luther. Um, what I'm talking about is all this creative energy back to the earliest published works that we can put our hands on as a society have to do with love stories. We are intrigued by love stories. Imagine if you could harness all the creative energy it's taken to write these love songs and love stories throughout all time. You would be a force to be reckoned with. Humanity has long been moved and inspired and confused and intrigued and motivated by love trying to understand it. I think that says something about our God and King, that he has wired us this way. We are interested in love. Why? Because God created our deepest longings that cry out for him. God's love is woven through our very creation and existence and being. But have you ever thought of Mary and Joseph as a love story? Or, like me at times, have you just gotten wrapped up in, yes, there are two characters that come up on the stage in the play for just a minute, right? With the angel, the kid wakes up, right? And then Mary goes, oh, like that. And then she does the Magnificent, and then they move off the stage, and we get to the angels and all the things, right? If we're not careful, they just pass on quickly and off quickly. Walk with me for just a few moments as we step back into ancient times under the Roman Empire in the days of Israel, in a small village called Nazareth, there's a carpenter named Joseph. Now, he's a young man. He's a rugged man. He is a carpenter that has, it seems to be doing pretty well. He's established as that. He comes from noble ancestry. He can trace his lineage back to King David himself. He lives a humble life, and he lives by the work of his hands. Some scholars think that he grew up in Bethlehem and then moved to Nazareth. Did he do that? Because he was franchised in his carpentry business? I don't know. But whatever the reason, he gets to Nazareth and becomes established. Can I just assure you of something? Every young girl's father in Nazareth would have known about Joseph. You see what I did there? You dads of daughters, you know what I'm talking about. They knew about Joseph. They were drawn to Joseph. They would have known about him. You've got to remember that Jewish marriage Customs in that time are very, very different from what we do today. Let me walk you through it. They followed clearly defined legal guidelines that took place in three stages. The contract, the consummation, and the celebration. So first, Mary's father would have gone to Joseph to propose and arrange the marriage. He wasn't proposing to Joseph. Let me make sure I clarify that for you. He was proposing the marriage to his daughter Mary. To Joseph. That's what Mary's dad would have done. A cash price, like a dowry, would have uh, been set so that Joseph would pay this to Mary's family, along with some gifts and a contract called a ketubah. Now, that would be signed by all the parties involved. At that point, Mary and Joseph were 100% married. We use the expression betrothed, okay? 
Now, they're 100% married, but the relationship, the process, there's still some things to go. Remember, that's the contract, and there's some distance between here and the consummation. So then a period of a year or more, sometimes years, depending on how young the bride was, they would allow her to become a young woman and to grow and, and, and to develop relationships. They would court each other during this time, building friendship, relationship. And then at some point after the two years uh, or year to process, Joseph would lead a procession of all of his friends to Mary's house. They'd walk down the road, knock on the door. Everybody knows what's going on, right? The whole village is, right? There was no Facebook. We couldn't see the ring or the video or the cinematic, incredible masterpiece doing the proposal, all of that. None of that. It was just, oh, it's time, it's time. All of the village would have gathered outside. Joseph would leave this procession, knock on the door, go in, and then while, this, this is a little strange, while everyone waited, take a deep breath, in the house, um, the couple would consummate their marriage. Uh, this is stage two, and this is called the chupa, uh, the chupa, the chupa, or the wow, I don't know what you... So um, that's what it would say. Everybody then would go together and have this marriage feast to celebrate the final stage of the progress. That sounds very strange and very different than what we're used to. And it, it may sound even awkward, but listen, just because culture and traditions are different doesn't mean there wasn't deep love in that relationship and this celebration of what was happening in their young lives. Possibly and probably even romance. We're almost done with this narrative. Just hang with me for a few more moments. Use your imagination with me. The Bible doesn't give us these details, but if we take what we know about those times, it's easy to fill in some of the blanks with probability. Mary and Joseph's arrangement probably grew to young love, and then clearly, as we see it play out, to a deep covenant love they had for one another. As each day passed, they chose love. And that love continued to deepen and grow. Imagine this young couple then, freshly in marriage together, not yet at the consummation process. They're not there yet. Just the contract, because he's betrothed. Imagine the bombshell that would have broken Joseph when he heard the news. You know what I'm talking about. How could you marry? Mary, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to us? I thought you loved me like I love you. We were doing this the right way. We were honoring God. We were honoring our families and each other. And now, now this, Pastor, what are you talking about? That's the broken trust that Joseph would have felt when Mary came to him and said, Joseph, I know this sounds crazy, but an angel visited me and told me that I'm going to have a baby. And the angel said, his name shall be Jesus, and he will be great, and he'll be called Son of the Most High. He's the Messiah, Joseph. You have to believe me. It's a miracle because it's true, and, and I'm pregnant. Now, as much as he would probably like to focus on that first part, I bet the two words he carried with him the most were, I'm pregnant. You see, everybody knows how people, women, get pregnant and Joseph knew that he had not been involved. Everybody in the village would have known that he would not be involved. Why? Remember this custom. They're here. They're not here. So it, he dishonors Mary 
One way, by telling everybody, I didn't do this, it dishonors Mary and her family. Or he dishonors himself, and it's a disgrace to the whole society. Did he walk away in silence? Did he walk away broken and speechless? Did that send Mary away in tears? We, we don't know. We can only imagine. But the lovers did part with lots of emotions swirling in and around them, and young Mary clinging desperately to the encouraging words from the angel. Remember how the angel started. Fear not. God's very son had sprung to life within her. Somehow God would make a way. Mary and Joseph's is a true human love story. I'm transitioning to text now. Longest intro ever. But it's also a supernatural love story because it doesn't start with them, it's not sustained by them, and it doesn't end with just them. Take your Bibles, I gave you the heads up, and turn with me to 1 John chapter number 4, and let's look at verse 16 together. 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John would say it so clearly and simply, God is love. You're taking notes this morning. That's your first note. The digital notes aren't up this morning, but uh, just take those notes down on the back of that handout you got coming in. God is is love. I've got to remind you this morning, church family, in 2021, that we Bible-believing Christians really do know what love is all about. Why? Because the Bible tells us what love is, what real love looks like, and who love is. Don't take your cues from culture. Don't take your cues, God help us, from what's popular today because they will distort every angle of love and pervert it as much as they can. Listen, love in its purest form comes from God. Let's zoom out from Mary and Joseph for just a moment and see God's love at work. Here's the nature of our God, love in its purest form. Love was at work at the center of God's creative forces when he made the universe and formed it perfectly for the crowning glory of his creation, humanity, to occupy the earth that he made. Wow, that was God's love at work. Love was there even when the world fell into sin and open rebellion against the holy God. Even when the world had catastrophic consequences of humanity's fall, God was still love. Love was there shepherding Adam and Eve and their family into this altered world. And even, when, even then, love was making a way to restore all that had been lost. We see the promise of Christ as early as in Genesis, when the seed of the woman is said to crush the head of the serpent. Love forged a covenant between Abraham, between Isaac, and between Jacob. Love continually led the Israelites through relocation and resettlement, through triumph and imprisonment and exile. As we trace through the Old Testament, we see love guiding, correcting, exhorting, showing mercy to the ever disobedient and always distracted Israelites. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? In Mary and Joseph's story that we've read about today that I've shared with you, love was taking the form of humanity in the Messiah 
the Lord Jesus Christ, love is God with us. And love would be with Mary and Joseph to care for them and provide everything they would need. Here's my question for any good love story or love song. Is love enough? Well, it's not if it's just that relational love that you and I drum up that's based so much on our feelings and our emotions. Because can I just tell you, I don't know if you know this or not, and I don't want to insult your intelligence. This may be a newsflash. I hope it isn't. Feelings change. Right? Some of you walked in feeling chilly. Then a deacon got a hold of the heat. Your pastor's sweating up here this morning. Feelings change. Some of you can eat the wrong amount of sugar for a day and skip leg day and back day and arm day too many times and you don't feel like going back to the gym. Some of you can feel one way on Monday, hello, and a different way on Saturday. Feelings change. That's not the kind of love that I'm talking about. I'm talking about divine love. Was love last? Yes. As long as God is the author, the sustainer, and the finisher of that love. Not only is God love in its purest form, I'm so thankful for this. Not only is God love, but number two, God gives love. God gives love. Simple points this morning from the text as we're focusing on Advent. God with us. God is love. God gives love. Let's look at the next couple of verses in 1 John chapter number 4. By this is love perfected, matured with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. Wow. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. God initiated that love. Go back to the previous verse for me, Mark. I should have given you that a little more clearly. I want you to see that for just a moment. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When I mention to you that one day you will stand before the creator God, the sustainer and ruler of the universe, the judge of all things, and he doesn't need culture or society or the Supreme Court to legislate or to try to tell him what's right and what's wrong, he set the standard. When I tell you that you will stand before that God one day before that throne of judgment, what's that reaction for you? Is it fear? Are you afraid because you recognize that you have nothing, no defense whatsoever? Or do you have an advocate with the Father? Is your attorney, is your standing between the Lord Jesus Christ? We say sometimes in evangelism, one of the ways a conversation could go, you ask somebody, one day you'll stand before God. And when you stand before God and he asks the question, why should I let you into my heaven? What will your answer be? The only correct answer, you ready, is that Christ has paid for my sins on the cross. And I have put my faith and trust in him. What's my answer? Simple. Jesus Christ, my advocate with the Father. There's no fear in that. That's perfect love. And it casts out that fear. Now, we have a holy fear and reverence of God, certainly. But there's no I'm afraid that God's out to get 
God initiated this. Romans 5, 5 says, hope doesn't put us to shame. God's love has been poured out. This is the kind of love that God gives. He pours it out through his Holy Spirit. Listen, he doesn't do it with a medicine dropper. I had to put some eye drops in last night. Few things I love less than having to put eye drops in, right? Just like this. You're trying to put them in this little eyedropper, and they're like, I don't know, you would think they were liquid gold sometimes, right? We treat it like it's, how much would a drop be? A, a, a fraction of a cent? I don't know, but you don't want to waste any, and you're trying to get it right in the right spot. That's not how God pours his love out on us. It's like you're standing at the base of Niagara Falls trying to stand up. That's the way God poured his love out on us when he gave us Jesus Christ. That's the way God poured his love out on us when he preserved this precious book in a language we can understand. That's the way God gave his love to us when he gave us freely the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus. That's the way God gave his love to us, watch this, when he gave us one another as the bride of Christ. He's poured out this love. He pours it out on us. Think about Mary's long journey to her cousin Elizabeth's house as we get back to the Mary and Joseph story. That couldn't have been easy. She would have walked alone. It would have been long and, and hot. The road must have been lonely still. She probably, most likely, would have been meditating on that hope that she had from that angel. How would Elizabeth receive her? How would this go? She gets into Elizabeth's presence and look at what God does for Mary in Luke chapter number one. Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Side note there, let the record show that one of the first and earliest and greatest testimonies that Christ was the Messiah came from the preborn in the womb. Life matters and all life matters to God. As soon as Mary arrives, she's greeted with love. Can you imagine that relief? I know all the girls in your house, if you've got a house full of sisters, I'm sure this is how they talk to one another all the time. Blessed are you, sister. (laughs) Praise God that you've shown up. And when I heard your voice, I leapt, right? That's how we all behave. I got it. This is special. What did Mary do? Mary immediately knew. It's like when Jesus was with the disciples and said, whom do men say that I am? And and Peter says, you're the Christ. He said, flesh and blood didn't give this to you. My father's in heaven. What was Mary's response to Elizabeth saying that? She praised the Lord. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In the midst of Mary's human crisis, God provided just the love she needed. And he did it through somebody else. Can I just tell you, that's the way God works. Most times we're looking for an answer from heaven and we're right to pray and to cry out to God and when we have a need. But let me just tell you, church family, one of the beautiful things he's done with us as the bride of Christ, God has put the answer many times in the pew next to you. There's somebody in this building that can can help you and wants to walk with you. You are not alone. That's a lie from the enemy that tells you that you're by yourself and you got to figure all this out on your own. No, 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 friend. No, friend. That's not how any of this works for his glory. God shows us his love through others. 
Joseph needed something very different. Joseph needed a different expression of God's love. How did God show his love toward Joseph? How did he give love to Joseph? Joseph considered these things, and behold, Matthew 1, 21, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We focused on that word last week. If you didn't get to see it, uh, please grab that message online. It's also clearly illustrated in our devotional books. We want to make sure everybody has one. Don't leave without that this week. Notice how God knew exactly what was the heart of Joseph's hurt. Fear. Joseph was afraid. What did we say that fear was? Fear of punishment? Joseph thought the whole society was going to wring them out. There was no win for him if it was his baby, which it couldn't have been. But if he tried to admit that it was, that would be some punishment. If it wasn't and he was going to shame her, so what did he do? He was going to put her away privately and, and try to protect the family's integrity. This tells you about the love he had for her and her family. What a love story. And the love he had for God and the love he had even for his society. God gave Joseph the reassurance that he needed to trust Mary and her love, and ultimately to trust God and his love. Joseph chose love and trust, even though the law told him he could do otherwise. And it's a beautiful reflection of what God has done for us in Christ. Our sins, our rebellion against God, you know what we deserve? Death, judgment, the wrath of God, hell. Eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. But God in his mercy and love, this holy, perfect God in the nature of his holy and perfect love, chose us at the costly price of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved that he gave. The love of God is with us as God's love God's perfect love in human form is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as mind-blowing as that is, I'm here to tell you this morning, God's love is eternal. It's never-ending. That's what that chesed love means. It's never-ending. It's eternal. It was, it is now, and it will always be. God's love shows up for you and for you in the daily, routine, mundane things. God's love can also show up in ways that change history forever. And one day, all things will come to an end, but God's love won't. In fact, the Bible says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Final point, and it's a really short one, the last one. Since God is love, God with us means God's love is with us. God with us means God is giving his love in the smallest ways and in big ways too. Third point this morning, God's love flows through us. And by the us, there's a qualifier. You see, God is love, that applies to everybody. God gives love Everybody can taste and benefit from that. But the God's love flowing through us, well, that's the bride of Christ. It's a distinction of us. Like any true God-written love story, Mary and Joseph's love didn't end with themselves. It was built upon the foundation of God's perfect 
supernatural love. They trusted God. They followed him. Mary and Joseph were in it together on the long journey to Bethlehem. They were in it together on the seemingly desperate night with Mary about to give birth and no place to rest. They were in it together at the birth and the first cry of the Messiah as Mary sang the Messiah, his first lullaby. And then the love of God flowed through their story to so many others. Think about the shepherds, the wise men. Think about Simeon and Anna. Think about all of the other guests they would have had. The angelic host warning them. We see the love of God, but from the beginning, they recognized that Jesus, their son, was so much more than just a baby. His life existed for us all. He was God with us. His love would be offered to the whole world. And with this knowledge, they chose to live with open hands, trusting in and living out the miraculous love that God had given to them. Now, in this Advent season, I want to ask you the question, how will you reflect the love of God? How will you live this week with open hands in a way you didn't last week? How will you let God's love flow through you? Here's a simple thing, and I'm coming to a verse here to apply it, but here's a simple thing. Look around the room. Who can you connect with? I know we're busy. Somebody says, oh, people are busy. People are always busy. Don't add a thing to your calendar. Just add somebody to a thing you're already doing. you got to eat. Make the table bigger, right? Who around you can you connect with? How will you pray and participate in our Christmas missionary offering this year as a way to show God's love for the nations and for our brothers and sisters serving around the globe? Jesus taught his disciples one of the most distinctive qualities about the body of Christ in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. I'm going to ask Julia to come back to the piano, and we're about to have a moment to respond to the text before communion this morning. The ability for us to love one another, to do that, begins as we open ourselves to God's love. God's love grows and overflows as we extend kindness and care and support to others around us, sure. Sometimes it's a small step. Sometimes it's a big thing. It's always costly. If you want to know if it's really love from God, it'll cost you something. It always does. Because God is with us, love is with us. It's an eternal, vast, and perfect love, but it's also a personal love. Now, that sounds a little mushy, probably to some. I get it. Can I tell you something else love does? Love cares enough to confront our friends, our family, people that God puts in our path with the life-saving, life-changing truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That God created everything and his rule is perfect. And the first opportunity man had as a race, the human race, we rebelled. The first chance you and I had, we sinned and chose our own way over his. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Our sin deserves the wrath and condemnation of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Come to Jesus this morning. Yes, God is love. Beautiful, lovely. The world loves that message. I'm going to tell you, the world loves that message. The church ought to be more loving. Well, I agree with that. We ought to be more truthful in proclaiming the gospel. That's the greatest expression of love. If somebody was about to run off a cliff, you'd stop them. Listen, they're perishing all around us. You and I are ambassadors of love when we share the good news of Advent. Let's pray.